Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. So, I want to uh, open with an invitation to imagine that you, you go to sleep and you wake up. And you wake up with just total amnesia. You maybe can remember the basic function of things, but everything is new. You don't remember this? Your your sunrise is your first sunrise. When you walk outside and hear birds, it's the first time you hear those birds. What would it be like Just imagine what it would be like to encounter the world brand new. Think of the absence of anxiety. I mean, you might be anxious, you don't remember stuff, but just let, just like, put a pin on that one. Put a pin on that one. This is not like a Jason Bourne kind of uh, amnesia. <laughs> this is a waking up into, into innocence, into newness. So we're not, we're not done yet with just talking and considering and reflecting on what resurrection means. We had our resurrection Sunday last Sunday, and that was, that was great. Um, but it bears, it bears leaning into a, a, a bit more. Actually, it bears leaning into on, in an ongoing, everlasting kind of a way. And so as I was thinking about that, I... Um, I spent this week thinking a little bit more about a question that we had asked last week, and that, and that was, is there such a thing as a practice of resurrection? Something that's ongoing, something that we can engage in um, because of and to celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen, and in anticipation of where all of that leads. What does it look like to practice resurrection? Because I think it's a fairly difficult thing to do. Right? I, I think that the world doesn't lead us there naturally. And so I want to spend some time today thinking about a very specific lens that I, that I see in the resurrection of Jesus. And that is an invitation into newness. Into some, making something new. In fact, um, we have... Well, the scriptures uh, reflect that the end game is all things new. The end game is all things new. Um, the end game is all things reconciled in Jesus. That's what it talks about, right? And I don't know that, I don't know that that's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about, all things new. All things new, what does that mean? I think, you know, what is my relationship with newness? Well, well, my relationship with newness in the world that we inhabit is 
is I would I would associate newness with shiny. Right? So what's the new shiny thing? Right? Um, and the I mean, you know what happens with new shiny things. Eventually they, what, they lose their luster, they become familiar, right? Um, the wonder drains out the bottom eventually of, of new things, newness. And part of what I believe is in the promise of the resurrection of Jesus and part of the promise of the gospel is that if we listen for it, there is an ongoing invitation into something new, something fresh, something present. I want to open just with a reading from 2 Corinthians. This is in chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As through God, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I don't know what sort of things jumped out for you in that reading of, of Scripture. Something that popped for me that was interesting was this idea of regarding others with, with a worldly point of view. What does Paul mean by that? Because he talks about this here, new creation, and he almost refers to it like, like, the, like the counterpoint to that. The opposite of that is to regard people with, an, with a worldly point of view. And so... In the context of things, there's this idea that Paul is exploring of putting off the old self, putting on the new self. Um, you know, he references he references this body of work that we have amassed, which we would call maybe sin, brokenness. We've amassed and we have clothed ourselves with that. And he talks of a new creation where that is no longer relevant, where that list has been has been struck, right? And so I think there's a big difference between um, a judge who who pardons our sin or or says your time is done or whatever and you you have your, your laundry list there behind you. 
And yet there's something else that I hear that feels a little bit more like what it would be like to wake up with, without a memory of the former things. And of course, we remember the former things. I remember the former things. I remember the former things of this morning that might be part of my laundry list, right? But if we're to step into the newness of Christ, the newness of the gospel, new creation, I think it feels a little bit more like like that sense of waking up and we don't. We don't have the, the weight, the baggage, because that's what sin feels like. It feels like weight. It feels like baggage. And the worldly point of view is something that I think Paul is encouraging the readers here to look past what they see when they assess and value others and themselves, right? They, he's saying, you know, the appearances, status, the things that we've built up for ourselves. There's something else that God has invited us to that is wholly different. So we're just going to walk a couple circles around this idea this morning. A passage that came to mind as I was reflecting on this idea of all things new and what that might mean for us as, a, as practicing resurrectionists Christians, right? Is Matthew, he, in Matthew's gospel, he re- refers to this incident with Jesus, and the disciples are gearing up. They're on their way to Jerusalem for the final showdown, and they, I think, have a sense that, that there's a happening coming, and they feel a sense of momentum, and they say, Hey, Jesus, uh, who, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? Who's? And I think it's kind of like, hey, boss, can I have a raise? I think it's that kind of conversation. Right? Hey, boss, I think, I think I'm worth an extra couple of dollars an hour. Right? We're, I want to have a sit down with you. Who's the greatest? Right? Who, who has status among us? And sort of the question of status to the question of authority, Jesus calls a child to him, a little child, a toddler, let's say. And he places the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never ever enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I think a lot has been said about what it means to be childlike, right? Um, I've heard lots of teachings on that. The thing I want to focus in on a little bit is to look at it through this idea of not just the loss of power and status, although I think that that's pretty clearly part of what Jesus is communicating. But there's also a lens, a way of looking at the world that I think we see in the eyes of children where there's a discovery, there's an ongoing discovery process, and there are certain things that we don't see evident in children. Right? Prejudice is one example of something that comes later 
That's a built-up thing, right? That comes, like, the idea of, of prejudices or power structures or I measure up or don't measure up or whatever, that all gets imposed later, right? That gets imposed by worldly ways of thinking. We're, we're, we're always competing. We're always competing on what's come before. When, when I go to apply for a job, what am I bringing with me? I'm bringing a resume. I'm bringing my history. I'm bringing my... And, and, and in that history, we might say, is my credibility, is my competence, is all of the things that I might use to justify why I belong in that place. And what's not on my CV? What's not on my resume? Failures. Failures are not on my resume. I'm just ready to have a positive spin on the question. So what's your greatest weakness? Right? I care too much. <laughs> I have too great an attention to detail. Those of you who know me at all know that that's not something that I can say. I think that's a lot of what Paul is referring to when he says, when he talks about looking at people with a worldly, from a worldly point of view. And he says, we did that with Jesus too. We looked at Jesus through a worldly point of view. We looked at him and we made assessments. And we thought we knew who he was. Right? But something changes, changes in the text that Paul is writing, in the Corinthians text. Something changes and he says, no longer do we look at people that way. Something has changed. And he talks about new creation. I want to repeat from 2 Corinthians this. is verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. One of the amazing things about time is that it flows in one direction. Always. It always flows in one direction. That's what science suggests too. If you talk to physicists, um, that's actually a point of confusion. They can't quite figure out. I mean, it seems logical because that's what we live in, but from a mathematical standpoint, they don't understand why it doesn't flow in both directions. But it seems that it always flows in one direction, so that means that what has passed is passed. And somehow, this is important to say as well, newness and the new creation that's being talked about Paul says, is ultimately about reconciliation. Right? A reconciliation is a bringing of things together that were severed. And so on some level, I think as well, what does it look to wake, what does it feel like to wake up new and to engage and to look at the people around us in new ways, to engage and to take a measure of who we are based not on the whole history that we have, based on who we're invited to right now, who we're invited to be right now. And in case we might think that this new language is like kind of not a big part of the Bible narrative, the story, the big story, it shows up a lot. It shows up most profoundly in the writing of Isaiah, the prophet, 
He says things like in, in chapter 43, he says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. That's interesting to me. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now, how do we disremember something? It's a pretty hard thing to do, right? But it's a, but it's a powerful invitation for us nonetheless. Immediately following that, he says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, and don't you perceive it? I will make a way for you in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. My new thing is at the place that you were formerly lost and you'll be found. And the place that you formerly felt like was going to destroy you because it wouldn't sustain you, you're going to find sustenance there. You're going to find the water in the desert. Isaiah 65, which is what gets reflected again, we're going to touch on it in just a second, in Revelation, right at the very end, this thing that sums up the whole story, it says this, Behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And in Revelation 21, it says this, and he was seated on the throne, and that would be God seated on the throne. Behold, I am making all things new. And better write this down because what I'm saying is true. Now, there, uh, we often talk about two things that exist at the same time. There is this beautiful remembering that God has. God does not forget us. Right? God is with us in the fine points of our life and the fine points of brokenness. And He's not going to erase it from His memory and just allow us to remember it in our misery without Him present in those places. So this is actually not about like a complete forgetting. But in some ways... I kind of like the term unremembering something. Right? Where, where it's no longer, I mean, what I envision, and I believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit, I don't believe it's the work of a sermon. But that the work of the Holy Spirit can allow us to remove things from our script, to remove things from our CV so that we're not, or our res- resume, so that we're not lying when we don't mention them. It's because there's a new story that's being written. And so we can encounter God in the brokenness and in the pain and even in the sin because that's, that's Jesus became those things. That's what the scriptures say. Right? And yet, when we encounter the world, we can encounter the world as a new creation. This is part of the good news. I'm convinced it's part of the good news. Like right at the heart of it. Right at the heart of it for today because... I think that we have a world that remembers everything. We have a world that remembers and shames every chance it gets. Right? We see it all the time. We see it in social media. We see it in the news. We hear it from family members. Our world loves to remember. Right? And so this is part of the good news. 
Does it, does it mean anything though? And how do we see it reflected in the nature of who God is? Because we've talked about this, that God incarnates, that he becomes what he wants to invite us towards 100% of the time. God never invites us towards something that he doesn't already embody. Right? And so, I ask the question, and this is in no way ageist in my heart. Right? But I ask the question, is God old? Is God old? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This Charlton Heston picture, which is Moses anyways, but we tend to super, you know, we like to say that it's Charlton Heston has the voice of God or whatever, right? You know, it's like, well, it's not even part of the movie. But we have this image of God that is ancient, and ancient is, is apt in one sense, but not old, not reduced, not, not, God has far better knees than I do, right? And I had this thought, because that feels really good to me in principle, but it's not exactly the sort of thing that's like, and here's the point in the Bible that says that God is young, right? It's not the way that the scriptures work. What's interesting to me is that in Christ, as in Christ is the, we've talked about this since, you know, for the last seven months or six months or whatever, like the embodiment of, is the enfleshing of all the characteristics of God. When he's referred to as the Lamb of God, we think of that through the lens of what we hear in the stories of, of sacrifices, which again, we've talked about the lens, that's like barbecue stuff it, you know, there's, but we think the Lamb of God, okay, the Lamb who was slain. That, you hear that in churches all over the place. It's churchy language. What's interesting is that a lamb is a young sheep. It's not a sheep yet. It's a lamb. It's a lamb for a year. I read about this because I was curious. How long is a sheep a lamb? Well, a lamb is one year or younger. That's a lamb. And so the image, the, the, this, this idea that God is, embodies here is the sense of, of, of of newness. It's not about young or old, it's about newness. Just want to reference, there's a lot of scripture references this morning and I'll try to put it in the notes online too if you want to and I'm just kind of digging a little bit deeper to some of this stuff and make sure I'm not breaking context. Um, but Ephesians 4, Paul says this, You were taught with regard uh, to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? Again, an invitation into into newness. So, what does it look like to practice this thing? Because I'm convinced that if we don't have a practice of it, if we just have a belief, I mean, that's one thing, and it might give us hope in difficult places, but I, 
I believe that the invitation is more than just some hope that we put far off over there, but that, I mean, that it shows up, that the truth and the gospel of Jesus shows up. If it doesn't, then it's just another great idea, and the world doesn't need any, I mean, the world is full of great ideas. That's not special at all. So what does the practice of this look like? I had a, a bit of an interesting thing last, like last week, Easter Sunday. Uh, we got home from here and uh, did some things and did some family things, whatever, and got back. And we were both pretty tired, pretty, pretty wiped out. Um, but it was like, you know, we, we just go for a walk. And... Um, and unexpectedly, and I won't, I don't want to overemphasize it and say that this was super profound, but there was this mentality, this thing that kind of, I put on my mind, or that, I don't know, God did or something, but it was like, I just felt like I was seeing things for the first time a little bit. The sun had been away for long enough that the sun felt like I was seeing it for the first time. Right? It was not miserably cold, cold, it was okay temperature-wise. But there were like buds, we saw buds in the trees and that felt new and hearing bird songs, that felt new. And, and I just kept on like, wow. Like look at the color of that green. And we were sort of like just seeing things, trying to see the world, right? Through this walk. And it reminded me of something that I heard taught and, uh, and I, went to, I went to do some research, like this was years ago I heard this talk, and I went to do research and I couldn't verify it. So, uh, so I'm just going to tell this in, in, in the context of, this might just be a nice idea, but I think it has merit anyways. And that was that for um, a Jewish practice of Sabbath, that part of, part of what that meant was encountering things as if for the first time. And there was a taste of that in that for me in that walk. It was a taste of encounter, trying to encounter things as if for the first time. You know, and the Sabbath is from, is from sunset to sunset, right? Uh, in, in the Jewish practice of it. And so, when you wake up in the morning, it's your, what does it mean? To, what does it look like to encounter the sunrise as if it's for the first time? And to encounter the taste of cereal or whatever you eat for breakfast, as if it's the first breakfast that you've eaten. And to press into life that way. And I love the idea of it being part of a rhythmic thing, like every week we kind of reset the clock on this and we encounter the world as if it's newly made. Which sort of speaks to this idea of, of, this, of the rhythm of the week anyways. right? Because that's, after God rested, the world, whatever that all looked like, the world woke up and encountered the world as if it was a newly made world. And that's part of the promise. It's part of the Easter promise that we're still leaning in. So I want to, if I can encapsulate it like this, if you maybe you have a chance of remembering this later. I want to call this the practice of tasting water for the first time. What does water taste like the first time you take a drink of it? 
Because water is the most boring drink on the planet, right? Unless you're desperately thirsty. But how many of you need to actively work to hydrate with water? Right? It's typically something you have to do with intention. Why? Because other beverages taste better, right? Or more interesting. But there's something that is in the purity of that, that I just, how do we re-encounter that? The most common thing, the very most common building block of what it means to live is water. Without water, there, there is no planet on earth as we know it. It's crucial. It's like air. So, tasting water for the first time again. We're getting close to the end here. So this idea that we talked about in Second Corinthians of putting off the former things or of not looking at people or looking at ourselves through the ways of like worldly lens, but looking at it through the lens of new creation. There's a sense of leaving something behind. And so I'm just, I have a list of things that I thought about that, what would that mean that we would leave behind? What ways can we try to practice newness in a way that is directly correlating with what Jesus' promises are for us? Here's my list, and then we can open it up if anyone else has things that come to mind. What do we need to let go of to be new, is the question. Prejudices, which we talked about, fully inherited. Or built, not inherited, actually. Built. We don't, we don't start with them. That's not part of newness, that's part of oldness, prejudices. World weariness. World weariness does not exist in a new creation. It can't. And this is not to shame those of us who are world weary. This is to say, if we're feeling that, there's an invitation into, into something more. That might, that might be the Lord's cane. <laughs> And the habits, those deeply entrenched things that are not helpful in our lives that we wish we could let go of, they don't exist in newness. They only exist in, in, in oldness. Again, it, yeah. Our sense of status doesn't belong in a new creation. It can't. Status doesn't make sense to a baby. Status only makes sense as we figure out where we are in relation to other people. That's a learned thing. It doesn't belong in the new creation. Cynicism does not belong in the new creation. Right? What's the opposite of cynicism? Hope, hope would be part of it, I think. There's a word that comes to mind, it's a sincerity, but that's not quite it. There's something else that's a little bit more correct, but I was, I was contemplating that, I think, because I think actually of all of these things on the list, I think cynicism is the thing that is, is probably the most prevalent that I see woven throughout uh, a lot of the church experience of life, is that I'm seeing a lot of cynicism. 
Related to that is a sense of been there, done that. Right? That feeds our cynicism. But again, that doesn't, in a new creation, that's something we get to leave behind. Encounter every Monday as if it's the first Monday ever. That means Monday doesn't have baggage all of a sudden. Right? So let's like to step into that. Because in Ephesians, again, Put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. That's what this exercise is looking at. What does it look like to be made new in the attitude of our minds? And here's one. Again, I think a great challenge for us in the entertainment age. Boredom. Our relationship with boredom It's an interesting one to explore. And I say that from within from within the system, not from outside the system saying, hey, come, and I've got it all figured out. But I think it's true. I don't think that there's a sense. I think that our relationship to boredom is very different in new creation mindset than it is in old world thinking. Right? And it would be tight. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The old hat thing. Uh, just not interested. I've seen this, you know. And it's funny, like, parents, do your kids get bored of the same old television show when they're particularly young, or do they watch it over and over again if they watch TV? I've seen that, right? I've seen kids, it's like, they just, same story, same story. Eventually it gets old, but it takes a lot longer for it to get old for kids than it does for, for us, right? So, I'm closing up here. Yeah, let's close with this. Uh, reading from Lamentations, which sounds pretty heavy, but it's a good, it's a good passage. As we, I, the invitation is to press into this and to invite the Lord to empower our sense of newness. Right? It's His work, resurrection work, work is His work 100% of the time. But we want to participate with it in the formation of our minds, I think, is what I would encourage us to leave with. And so may this be an encouragement to the renewing of your mind. Lamentations 3, 22, verses 22 and 23 say this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. And they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So Lord, I pray that just... I pray, Lord, that we would encounter the newness of your promise every morning, the newness of your compassion every morning. It is not diminished or weakened or diluted in any way. Every morning, full strength, fully fresh, fully new. And Lord, in that space of encountering your promises, your compassion, your love, like that. God, we ask that this would be reflected in us too. That we would step into the practice of newness. Not to despise the old and, and, or anything like that. Not that we would chase after shiny new things. But Lord, that we would be renewed in our spirits. 
So in Jesus' name, I bless you as you go, we as we